Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. We're going to be taking and looking again at how to reverse the devil's decisions, and this is going to be like the final installment. But I think all of us know that God has a plan for our lives. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah that God says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. They're for peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. So, so God is not mad at you. He's not up in heaven with a big fly swatter waiting for you to step out of line. In fact, everything that could separate you and me from God was taken out of the way when Jesus went to the cross and paid for our redemption. However, Satan also has a plan. And Jesus described it this way in John 10, 10. He said, the thief, he only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So, so Satan's plan is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Where God's plan is the opposite, for an abundant life. In the book of James chapter 1, it says this. It says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of light in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So if it's good, it's coming from God. And notice, God does not have bad days. God does not get in a bad mood. God does not get ticked off. There is no variation. There is not even a shadow of turning with God. He is the same always. And he comes for us to have life. But the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I just want everybody to just say this out loud. Just say, good God, bad devil. Good God, bad devil. Now, really, this verse is like the great divide. It shows us what comes from God, what does not come from God. And if we can really grab hold of that, I like to say it like this. You know more than 90% of theologians. If you can just grab that one thing, God is good, the devil is bad. There's a picture in the Bible, in the book of Job, about a man who's attacked by the devil. First, he attacks his finances, attacks his family, attacks his health, attacks his marriage. And when Satan comes, what we need to do as Christians is we need to stand against the temptations that he comes with, but also the works that he comes with. Not just the temptation, but his works. What does he bring into our lives and into the world? We need to stand against those things. Now, to know what comes from God, again, good God, bad devil, kill, steal, and destroy, abundant life. But I want you to think about it like this for a moment. If you look at the beginning of your Bible, Genesis 1, 2, 3, God creates this awesome, beautiful, beautiful planet. He puts man and woman on the planet. There is an abundance. There's peace. There's joy. They have fellowship with God. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no regret. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. None of it. Right? The devil shows up. Sin, sickness, pain, sorrow, regret, death, everything comes when the devil comes. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Right? And the devil, 
that old serpent. He is thrown into the lake and fire where the beast and the false prophet are, and he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Chapter 20, verse 10. And by the way, when the devil reminds you about something you did wrong, you know, he's talking about your past. You should remind him of his future. It will shut him up. All right. But now, immediately after that, we have Revelation chapter 21. And in Revelation chapter 21, God comes down. He abides with us. And suddenly he wipes away every tear and there's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. Everything that we consider bad is gone. Once the devil's gone. How many of you can tell where it came from? You see, everything that happens in this world is not the will of God. Now, it was really popularized by the New International Version, where 288 times in that translation, they took the phrase from the King James Bible, Lord God or Lord God Almighty, that had been used in other translations, and they put in their sovereign Lord, which really isn't so bad, except they put a different definition with sovereign. You know, if you look it up in your dictionary as a noun, sovereign means a king or a queen or a noble person, one who serves as the chief of the state, a ruler or a monarch, or it might even be uh, that old British coin that was called a sovereign. Right? Those are all uses of the word. As an adjective, it means paramount or supreme. And, and there's no doubt God is paramount. He is supreme. Another definition is supreme in rank or power. Well, God is definitely at the top of the food chain, right? Still another definition is self-governing, independent. How many know we consider the United States to be a sovereign nation, right? But religion came along and concocted its own definition, meaning that everything that happens in the world is God's will and God does it. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be on earth as it is in. Now, if God's will was done on earth as it is in heaven, we wouldn't need to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus, the Bible says this, I've come to do your will, O God. In Acts 10.38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. In other words, every single person Jesus healed, it was not God who ultimately brought that sickness into the world. It was the devil. So what happens today so often is people ascribe everything that happens to God, and then they get mad at God. Why did God do this? Why did God do that? Well, listen, God didn't do this and that. There is a devil who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is called in the Bible the prince of the power of the air, the God, small g, of this world. He's the one who brings all of those things. And when he's gone, then God is going to bring his kingdom back as it was in the beginning. Really, all that we have between Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 21 is we have a time where the devil in his will is being done on this planet. But when he's put aside, 
God's will is going to be done again. Now, as, as we're pursuing God's purpose for our life and God's will and God's kingdom, we, we need to remember this, that people cannot stop you from fulfilling God's plan and God's purpose for your life. When, when King David is just that young boy and, and he goes down and he hears Goliath come out and say, send me a man to fight with me. He begins to make inquiries. He's like, I think I could do this. And the Bible says his older brother heard when he spoke to the men and Elib's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why have you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. And David responded, what have I done now? How many know this was not the first time there've been some problems. Is there not a cause? And he turned from him towards another. There are some people that will not recognize the gift and the calling of God that's on your life. And what you need to do is you just need to turn around and go in a different direction. You may need to talk to somebody else, but you cannot just sit there and let that person tear you down. That's not what David did. His brother was trying to insult him, trying to talk him out of what God had put in his heart. Well, then it's not they bring him to the king and Saul, the king said to David, you're not able to go and fight against the Philistine for you're a youth and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and a lion came and a bear came and they took one of those sheep. I went after him when they turned on me. I clobbered him and I killed a lion and I killed a bear. And that Philistine is going to be just like the lion and just like the bear. Now, when you talk in faith, some people think you're arrogant, right? but there's some people you can bring them on board. You can bring them along the journey. And that's what happened with Saul because Saul said, wow, all right, go fight, go do it. You know, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus had multitudes of critics. There were no shortage. Whenever Jesus preached, some people got glad and some people got mad. Same thing today. I hope you're people that get glad and not mad. Right? Paul, he had plenty of critics. He's preaching in, in uh, one city and they literally had to put him in a basket and let him down over the wall because they're guarding the gates of the city to murder him. Right? Luke chapter one, verse 37 says, for with God... Nothing is ever impossible and no word from God will be without power. No word of God will be without power or impossible of fulfillment. So when God speaks a word, there's power in that word. I want you to remember in the beginning, God said, let there be. And there was, in other words, the parent force of everything in the universe with words. Everything that you and I can see, taste, smell, touch, everything was created through words. God spoke those words. Now listen, every created thing will respond to words. It was not only created by words, but it will respond to words. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? And those that love it, that use it, will eat its fruit, right? So no word of God 
No word is ever impossible, and no word from God is without power. When God makes a promise in his word, right, there is power in that word. The power to bring fulfillment is in that word. Now, in the book of Revelation, we find Jesus, and the Bible says that there is a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now, how many of you know, normally we think of a sword being in your hand. But in Jesus' case, the sword is coming out of his mouth. And with that sword, he defeats his enemies. Rick Renner says it this way. He said, it's a two-edged sword because one edge is when God says it, and the other edge is when you say it. But because what we're saying is not our word, it's God's word. It is not without power. The power to fulfill what was spoken by God is in that word. Again, for with God, nothing is ever impossible. And no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. So once God says it, that power is right there. And when you and I say it, that same power is present. The Bible says that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Every one of those promises, they belong to you and to me. Now, as you're facing this opposition, as you're moving ahead, people cannot stop you. And so often what we do is we look at the circumstances and the circumstances paralyze us. So as you're in your journey, regardless of your need, regardless of the circumstances, keep on planting seed. Regardless of your need, keep planting seed. Ephesians 6 and 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, that's you, that's me, anyone, he will receive the same from the Lord. Whether you're slave or free, your circumstances do not determine whether this works. Whatever good you do, you will receive the same from the Lord. One paraphrase says it this way. Whatever you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Whatever you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. So what you need to do is you need to keep planting a seed, a word of encouragement. Come alongside somebody, help them. Maybe you need to sow something financial or some time or some love or some encouragement. But whatever you do, keep on planting seeds, no matter what your need may look like. Second Corinthians 9 verse 7. Let each one give as he's made up in his own mind and purpose in his heart, not reluctantly, not sorrowfully or under compulsion. For God loves, take pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without a joyful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. Now, your seed can be anything that can benefit somebody else. It doesn't need to be a financial seed. Again, it can be help. It can be a word of encouragement. It can be prayer. Now, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, David's hometown of Zegleg is invaded by the enemy, by, by some Amalekites. And they take everybody and everything. Now, David's gone. When he goes back, he pursues them. He overcomes. And when he's coming back after that victory to Zegleg, it says he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah to his friends saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Now, here's what David knew. 
David knew that every time something came into his hand, there was part of that was for him. But there was part of it that wasn't for him. There was a part of it he was supposed to sow. And so the Bible actually tells us in the book of Proverbs, it says there's one who sows and yet increases. And then there's another one who withholds what he should sow and only suffers want. Now, in the natural, that doesn't make sense. You think if I'm going to keep more, I'm going to have more. But if you're spiritually minded, you realize that's not how it works. Give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In Proverbs 3, in verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty. You see, we say, oh, they're trying to take something from me. But God says, no, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something to you. He says, you honor the Lord with your substance and your barns will be filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. He's saying, when you sow, it causes the increase to come to you. You may have heard me say this before, but when you sow something, it leaves your hand, but it will never leave your life. It goes into your future. God takes it. God blesses it, and he brings it back in some form into your life. It leaves your hand, but not your life. Remember, there's one who withholds what he should give, and it tends to poverty. Right? There's another who sows and increases all the more. Remember, part of what comes is for me, but part of what comes is something that I should be sowing. Right? So, if we're fulfilling God's purpose and plan, our enemy is going to try to steal, kill, and destroy. So the Bible tells us to resist him steadfast in the faith. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. Remember, he is a defeated foe. And although he's defeated, he hasn't given up. Uh, after World War II, there were a number of Japanese soldiers who simply refused to give up. The war was over. Japan had, had uh, sued for peace. But yet, it was in 1974 that one of those men finally came out of his cave and said, all right, I reckon it. 29 years after the end of the war, he's still fighting. Right? And others had not heard. Both of them remind me of the spiritual situation. Those that haven't heard that the war was over, they remind me of Christians who don't realize we have victory. But those that knew and refused to give up, they remind me of the devil. He's been defeated. The Bible says that Jesus brought him to naught. How many know that's zero? I mean, he may have started out with 100% of power and authority, but Jesus brought him down to 80 and then to 60 and then to 40 and then to 20 and then to 10 and then to 5 and 4 and 3 and 2 and 1, and he ended up with zero authority. Zero, right? But he still keeps trying. That's why the Bible says that you and I need to resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him. And then lastly, and this is extremely important, right? You need to prophesy your future. 
prophesy your future from the word of God. The angel appears to Mary and tells her, you're going to be with child. This is what she said. She said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. She said, what you have said, that's what's going to be happening to me. And that is exactly what we need to begin to do as believers. In Philemon chapter one, verse six, it says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Now, many Christians, although very sincere, never really walk in victory. And the reason is they never acknowledge, they never confess who they are in Christ. You need to begin to say it. You need to begin to speak who you are in Christ. Amos chapter three, verse seven. Surely the Lord does nothing. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Now, once the prophet knows, the prophet speaks what God is going to do. And the Lord does what without somebody speaking it? Nothing. He does nothing without it being spoken. And as far as victory is going to be come in your life, there is going to be none until you begin to speak that victory. You begin to say who he is in your life, what Christ purchased for you. Again, sincerity is good, but you need more than sincerity. You need to begin to acknowledge who you are in Christ, what belongs to you in Christ and what you can do in Christ. Right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Victory and defeat, provision and lack are in the power of the tongue. Those that love it, those that use it will eat the fruit thereof. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter four, God is speaking to Abraham and he tells Abraham, well, his name is still Abram at this time. He tells him to change your name and he's changing his name to where his name means the father of a multitude. Right? And you ask, how many kids does he have? None. And he starts going around saying, I am the father of a multitude. Right? Now, it says that this is what God does. Listen, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in whose presence whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls things that do not exist as if they did. He called things that did not exist as if they did. Now, that's the exact same thing he had Abraham do. He had Abraham begin to say, I'm the father of a multitude when he didn't have any children. He was calling things that were not as though they were. I don't know, years ago, this, this, this principle helped me. I realized God was calling things. It's like he's saying this exists out here in the supernatural realm, in the spiritual realm, and I'm calling it into the natural realm. Uh, years ago, we had a cat, and, and I'm just not very fond of cats. <laughs> you know, I, I, the devil's called a cat, right? The lion, you know, he goes, is this, this is not good. And, and we had a cat, and uh, this cat was my nemesis. I mean, this cat would climb on my John Deere 
yard tractor and scratch my tractor and climb up on the hood of my car and scratch my car. And Jeannie loved that cat. I was praying that it would go wherever cats go when they die, you know. Uh, but I never called that cat one time. Didn't want that cat. I was glad the day that the cat disappeared. And I had nothing to do with it. I promise I didn't. Maybe I prayed, but that was all. Uh, but we had a dog, right? And I would call the dog. I call that dog over. And you say, well, why, why would you do that? Because I wanted the dog. <laughs> right? Right? And when we begin to confess something, if we're like calling it, we're calling it out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm. Resistance is certain. Adversity will come. When it does, be like David and stand up and use your prophetic voice and begin to say what God says about you. Words spoken are your servants. When words are spoken, you become their hostage. Once they're spoken, you become their hostage. The Bible says that literally you are snared by the words of your mouth. Snared by the words of your mouth. In Hebrews 3 and verse 1, it tells us that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Now, what a prophet does, a prophet goes to God and gets a word from God and brings that word to God's people. A priest does the exact opposite. A priest listens to the people, hears their need, and brings their word to God. Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the high priest of your confession. We can understand that to say what you're saying, Jesus is saying to God the Father at the throne. He's saying what you're saying. That's why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, but what does it, faith, say? The word is near you. It's God's word. It's a word of victory. It's a word of provision. It's a word of peace. It's a word of joy. It's a word of healing. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Where does God's word need to be? It needs to be in your mouth and in your heart. Psalms 91, David said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. He's confessing who God is in his life. In Psalms 107, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord, how many know that's you and me, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We need to confess that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. We need to be speaking what God says. In Job chapter 23, it says, you will also declare or decree a thing, and it will be established for you. Right? It will be established for you. When? When you begin to declare, when you begin to decree what God says about your situation. Right? In Proverbs 12 and verse 6, 
It says, but the mouth of the upright will deliver him. The mouth of the upright will deliver them. See, we need to be saying what God says. Joel said, let the weak say, I am strong. Isaiah 57, God said, I create the fruit of your lips. Isaiah 59, my word that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or the mouth of your descendants or the mouth of your descendants, descendants from this time forth and forevermore. Hebrews 13, I believe it's verse six, where it says, therefore, we will boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Romans chapter eight. They literally, Paul talks about every bad thing that could come your way. And then he says, what shall we then say? What shall we then say to these things? See, when bad things show up, you need to begin to say something. Revelation 12 says, and they overcame him. That's the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Our testimony needs to be what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. God said in Psalms 89, my covenant, I will not break nor alter the word that's going forth from my lips. What God has said, he will do. And I just want to take one phrase out of Mark 11 and verse 23. But Jesus said, verily, I say unto you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith will come to pass. He will have whatsoever he saith. Notice the first thing Jesus said about faith was whosoever will say. All you need to do to be disqualified is keep your mouth shut. Right? I was fishing with my grandson this week, caught a fish, and I looked, trying to get that hook out. I thought, if you just kept your mouth shut, you'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you're snared by the words of your mouth. Right? But the, the phrase I wanted to take and close with this, Jesus said, you will have whatsoever you say. I want you to say it out loud. I will have whatsoever I say. Now, here's what Jesus is telling us. We need to be saying what God is saying because it's God's word. No word of God is void of power. Right? So we need to say what God says. Right? But here's what people do. Jesus said, you'll have what you say. So 90% of people say what they have. And all you ever get is what you've already got. Right? God is not looking for a report. This is how bad it is. He's looking for a promise that he's made to you. When in the beginning, God did not look out and see the chaos and the darkness and say, wow, it's dark. That's not what God did. God looked at the darkness and said, let there be light. All right. And Jesus said, you'll have whatsoever you say. Right. So what we need to do is we need to say what God has said. That this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. My word that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or the mouth of your descendants, or your descendants' descendants from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah 59, last verse. Begin not, not to give a report of the attack, of the situation, but begin to say what God says. David didn't look at that giant and go, oh, he's so big. He's bad. He's been a warrior all his life. He said, no, no, the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion 
and the paw of the bear will deliver him into my hand. Begin to say what God says about your life, right? And when you do, you reverse every plan that the devil has. All right. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? There's, there's really three like attitudes, thoughts that people have that keep us from God. And I want to real quickly in, in maybe three minutes go through these with you. The first person really says this, you know, I'm just good enough. I don't really need God. I'm a good person. I'm as good as most people. Well, here's the thing. The Bible says there's not one that's good. Not one that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. No matter how good you are, at some point, at some time, you violated God's laws. And so you need a Savior. And Jesus said he is the only one that can bring you into right relationship with God. There's other people, they just believe I'm too bad. I've done so much wrong. But Jesus said, I didn't call him to call righteous people. I came to call sinners to repentance. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? It doesn't matter what you've done. There is nothing that can keep you from God. Nothing. Because at the cross, when Jesus shed his blood, he paid for every sin that you have ever committed. And there's this last attitude. And it's, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right with God someday. 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 Here's the, here's the deal. The Bible says it this way, both Old and New Testament. It says, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You just can't come any day. You've got to come the day that God's drawing you, the day that God's knocking at the door of your heart. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone will open, I will come in. And if you're away from God, you're not right with God. And today you say, I really want to get right with God. I, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And, and I want to live that abundant life that he has for me. He's drawing you today. And today is your day. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head. Pray this prayer out loud with me. No matter where you're at online, please bow your head. Pray this prayer. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. He's my king. He's my Lord. And I receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for me. I thank you. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.